Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. Today we're preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or what we might call the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to start off in Luke 24. And while you can follow along in your Bible, I encourage you to listen to the message. Get the gist of the message. You can always go back and, uh, you know, look up the scriptures yourself. But I want you to hear what is being said. Because what is being said is vitally important because we're going through scripture. Now, in Luke 24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, and he uses the definite article there, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance And forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That's a sea change right there, because the gospel now is going all over the world. But this is what I want to focus on these next two verses. He says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, or look, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, get what he's saying here and the import of what he's saying. He says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, but you don't go yet. He said you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't an option. It was a direct command from the risen Lord. You stay put until you receive the promise of the Father. Now, the disciples didn't look at one another and say, you know, what is he talking about? He had informed them about the promise. Now, let me lay the predicate for that. We go back over to John's gospel, John 14, Jesus tells them, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then look and notice what he goes right into. He says, and I will pray the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, notice what he says here. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he goes right into the promise. You tie that into what we just read. And it's, if you love me, you'll stay in the city until you receive the promise from on high. Notice too that he says that the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. One must be born again first, and then you can receive the baptism. You cannot receive the baptism until you're born again. 
Let me go over to John 15, 26. He says, but when the counselor comes, or you could say advocate, it's paraclete in the Greek, or parakletos, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what? He will bear witness to me, or of me. In the Greek, it's concerning me. So you have, his name is going to be preached in all the nations. Stay in the city until you're clothed from power on a, from on high, and the promise that you receive from the Father is going to testify of me. Let me go one more. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's how important the baptism is. These days it is preached as kind of like uh, an election in a cafeteria. Oh, well, you can have the baptism if you like it. You can have a baptism if you go over here. But, but you hear the words of the risen Lord. He said, my name is supposed to be preached in all the world. But you stay put. You stay in the city until you receive the promise. Not a suggestion, but a command. And he had emphasized to them that it's advantageous that I go away because I can send the Spirit to you. You know, if Jesus were an ordinary boss, you would, what would you do as an employee? You would go to the city and you'd wait for the promise to come. You wouldn't, you wouldn't um, buck against it. You wouldn't say, well, I don't know if that's for me. You wouldn't say, you know, boss... Let me see what this promise is before I decide to sign on to it. No, you would go to the city and you would stay put. You would wait until the promise came. That's quite different from the way it's preached today because it's preached as some kind of option for just a portion of the body of Christ who are kind of strange. But the Lord didn't say, stay in the city and you'll receive the promise of strangeness. He said, you'll receive power from on high, and that's the power to witness. Hallelujah. Now, when Jesus spoke of the Spirit, he said this, and when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, when he sends the Spirit that he's talking about, the Spirit's not going to do it on his own. It's not like the church is going to get a bunch of lawn chairs, go out, put on the sunglasses, put on the, uh, uh, put on the sunscreen, and watch the Holy Spirit go Go reprove the world. No, he's going to do it through the church. And that's one reason why Jesus said, stay put and don't go anywhere 
don't preach in my name until you receive the power from on high. Now we're going to go through five accounts about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and its association with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. But what I want to do is I want to start off by just highlighting the way Pentecost is preached today. This is a quote from a Bible professor who is not baptized in the Spirit. He writes, On that occasion, meaning Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were enabled to speak with other tongues in known languages to preach the gospel to Jews from all over the known world who come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. The statement is false, meaning that that is untrue. We're going to go through Pentecost, but you're going to see that the, uh, the 120, the disciples, they spoke in other tongues. They didn't speak in native languages. And you're going to see that through Luke's account in the book of Acts. So let's go over there. It's Acts 2, and I'm going to read through verses 1 through 13. And this is where I want you to pay close attention to your Bible. I'm reading from the RSV translation because I think it is faithful to the Greek. Some modern translations are a little bit more what you call dynamic, and they take a little bit more liberty of what the meaning of the Greek was. So, let's read. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, meaning the disciples of the Lord. And suddenly, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributed and resting on each one of them. Notice verse 4, particularly. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, or as the Spirit enabled them. Notice that uh, Luke says, he writes that they spoke in Actually, other tongues. It's other tongues in the Greek. Luke doesn't say, he doesn't write that they spoke in native languages. And that's going to become clear as we go through this. They were speaking in other tongues. So what you see here is what? The fulfillment of the promise of Jesus dispensing the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The promise of the Father they were all endued with the power from on high by being filled with the Spirit. And the initial evidence was other tongues. Now let's go to verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And that at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now let's stop and take a look at that a minute. Luke doesn't write that the disciples were speaking in native languages. What he writes is because each one heard them speaking in his own language. There is supernatural hearing going on. It's not that the disciples were speaking 
in other native languages. They were speaking in other tongues. But those who were dwelling in Jerusalem from all over, we're going to see, they heard the tongues as their own native languages. And it's important to notice that Luke writes, each one heard them speaking in his own language. So, you see, when you read down, you see that there were Parthenians, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus. There's those from Egypt, parts of Libya, Rome, Cretans, Arabians, all kinds of people were living, dwelling, staying there for Pentecost. A group comes out, you know, the, uh, the, a crowd gathers because of what? The sound of the mighty wind, and they see a group speaking, declaring the acts of God, but they hear this group speaking in his own You have an Egyptian hearing the 120 speaking in his native language. The Egyptian is standing next to, let's say, uh, someone from uh, Rome. Well, the Roman hears the 120 speaking in his native language. And it goes on and on and on. That's why all the crowd there became astonished and were amazed. It's not that parts of the 120 or a few of the 120 were speaking in the Egyptians' native language and then a few others were speaking in the Romans' native language and so on and so on. That wouldn't wouldn't cause any kind of astonishment at all. But what would cause astonishment is the Egyptian hears his native language and he's standing next to the Roman, and the Roman says, well, wait a second. They're all speaking, say, Italian. I hear Italian. They're praising God in Italian. And the Egyptian says, well, no, they're not. They're speaking in my language. That's what happened at Pentecost. Let me give you a hypothetical that explains this, maybe a little bit more clearly. Let's say that you have two friends, one's French and one's German, and All three of you are in New York City, and you get in a subway car, and it's filled with people. All of a sudden, all the people start praising the Lord at one time. You're English, and you hear all the praises of God in English. So, at first, you don't think that's all that weird, you know, except that they're all doing it at one time, and they're all speaking in English, but your French friend standing right next to you says, oh my gosh, they're they're praising the Lord in French. And you say, well, no, they're not. They're praising the Lord in English. I hear English. And your French friend says, no, I hear French. And then your German friend looks over and says, well, no, you're both wrong. They're praising the Lord in German. And you both look at one another and said, no. And so all three of you become astonished because you're hearing the praises of God in your own native language from the very same people. And that's what you have here at Pentecost. The 120, as Luke writes, are what? Praising the Lord in other tongues. But there is a supernatural hearing going on, 
And when you read further, you see that the supernatural hearing is a sign. It's a sign for the unbeliever. Or the tongues being spoken is a sign for the unbeliever. Let's read on. Verse 7, And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Go back to the subway car. You and your friends would say, Who are these people? What in the world is going on here? Well, that's what you see here in the account of Pentecost. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Notice there that they're not saying, Luke doesn't write that they're speaking in native languages. The bystanders are saying what we're hearing our own native languages because they're comparing notes with one another. And then Luke goes on, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea. And he goes on and on and on. In verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one, to one another, what does this mean? The tongues were assigned to them. Now, a lot of preachers say that the purpose of the native languages, which they get wrong, but the purpose of the native languages were so all these bystanders could hear what? The, the mighty works of God and then take them back, take that back to their uh, own countries. There's no evidence of that whatsoever in chapter 2. But what you see is, you see that Peter stands up with the eleven. And he addresses the bystanders. Men of Israel, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's basically saying what you're seeing is a sign. And then what does he do? He preaches the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what cuts them to the heart. And that's where they repent and they get saved. That is the account of Pentecost. That is the account of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice that with the baptism came the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. In fact, let me just read uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 22. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Totally consistent with what we just read in Pentecost. Now, let's go to a second account, and that's the Samaritans in Acts 8. This is another instance where it's misconstrued. Um, the baptism in tongues. Philip has preached Christ, Luke writes, to the city of Samaria, and the city of Samaria received the gospel, and there was great joy in the city. And then in verse 14, it goes on, and it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. So people have been born again in the city, but here you have Peter and John coming down to the city, Verse 15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
for it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, most non-spirit-filled preachers stop right there and justify this text as saying that, well, there's a baptism of the Spirit without any speaking in other tongues, without any of that evidence. But if you go further and you read the account, you see that the reasonable inference is that these people uh, that had hands laid on them were baptized in the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. Let's read on. Verse 18, Now when Simon, and Simon was included in the believers who believed, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now think about the context here. Luke writes, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Question is, what did Simon see? If Peter and John came down and laid hands on people and there wasn't any kind of manifestation, then Simon really didn't see anything. So the question is, what is the manifestation? What did he see? And there's a, there's a hint when Peter says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. When you go back to the Greek in the word matter, it's a word Logo, which means word or message or utterance. What Peter is saying is, you have no part or lot in this manifestation of spiritual utterance because it involved the laying on of hands. So here what you have is a reasonable inference that, yes, you have a baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and that's consistent with what we saw at Pentecost. Amen. The third account is actually the Apostle Paul himself. You know, on the road to Damascus, he was called Saul. So we go to Acts 9, and the account reads this way. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice sing to him. This is, this is the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So Saul, who we know as Paul the Apostle, goes into the city. While he goes into the city... Jesus appears to another disciple. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord, to him, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias says, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. 
And he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now we skip down to verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, notice this, notice what he says, Brother Saul, Paul had been born again on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight, and what? And be filled with the Spirit, be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized, or water baptized. Now in this account here, Luke doesn't write immediately that Paul spoke in other tongues. But we know that Paul was a spirit-filled preacher by his own testimony. In writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 14, he writes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And in chapter 14, he explains, he gives instruction about tongues and how tongues is actually a supernatural utterance, speaking mysteries unto God and not unto men. So, you know, the ironic thing about Pauline scholars is that the majority that I've read after are not spirit-filled preachers, but they're studying a spirit-filled preacher, a Pentecostal preacher in the Apostle Paul. So there you have three accounts from the book of Acts where you have a baptism of the Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. We'll go through two more. The next one is Cornelius. This is the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Now, Peter was praying on, on a roof, and he fell into a trance, and he had a vision. And you can read about the vision, how a sheet came down, and the Lord basically told him that the Gentiles were not unclean. Some people, uh, some people from Cornelius' house come to Peter to take Peter back to Cornelius' house. And so Peter, uh, at the house, ex starts explaining the vision that he saw in the trance. And that's where we pick up in Acts verse 44. While Peter was still saying this, explaining the vision that he had, you can read the account, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed. These were Jewish believers who had come with Peter to Cornelius' house. And Luke writes that they were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles or the non-Jews. How did they know this? You go to verse 46. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, How can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So here what you have is you have Jewish believers who they, they basically say by their own testimony that they understand that 
uh, the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, how they heard them speak with other tongues, the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. And then we go to the last account, and that's the disciples at Ephesus. You go to Acts 19, and you read this. While Apollos was at Corinth, he's a, he's a fellow preacher, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Again, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is secondary. It's a second experience where the primary experience or the first experience is being born again. You see that also uh, with the apostles because in John 20, 22, Jesus breathes into them and says, receive the Holy Ghost. And that's when they became born again. Later on, he says, you stay in the city until you receive the promise of the Father. And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see that consistency here. Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then into what, what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul responds and says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and what? And they spoke with other tongues. So that is actually five out of five accounts from the book of Acts, where you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now let's go back to what the Lord Jesus Christ said about this promise. But this time, I want you to go back to Acts 1. And we're going to read from the very first verse. Luke starts the book out by saying this. In the first book, meaning his gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive, after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. Now verse 4. And while staying with them, he charged them. And you can go through all the translations on this. He charged them. He ordered them. He enjoined them. Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to concentrate on this. I want to emphasize this. In verse 4, he did not take a vote. He did not say, okay, for some of you who want to stay in the city, you've got something good coming to you. He did not allow any to opt out. He did not provide a choice. He ordered them. 
you stay in the city until you are baptized with the Holy Ghost. In the Gospels, in Luke's Gospel, he said, until you're clothed with power from on high. It is not optional. I understand that today, preaching, preachers make it optional. Like it's something that, well, if you choose to do it, then you can do that. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't do that. He said, you stay in the city. He didn't have, there's no record of any of the disciples saying, well, you know what? Um, I don't know about this, Lord, because, you know, um, I've read Isaiah. I've read the prophecy. I don't know what stammering lips are. I don't know what this tongue's business is going to be. I just don't know. So, you know what? I'm going to head over to Nazareth for a while, and I'm going to kind of hold out. And uh, I'm still a believer, but, you know, Lord, I just don't know. No. No, he ordered them. You stay in the city until the promise comes. And it's only after the promise came that they, they could go out and preach in his name. The scriptures have not changed. The injunction has not changed. Believers are to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And with that baptism comes the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues. Now, the baptism is not a baptism of weirdness, it's not a baptism of strangeness, it's not a baptism of um, something bad, something not good. Actually, Jesus said, he said so himself, that it was better for him to go away so he could give the promise. Amen. So let me read two scriptures to you just about praying in other tongues because there's a lot of misinformation in the body of Christ about it from those who are not baptized in the Holy Ghost. The first is 1 Corinthians 14 2. Paul writes this, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men but to God. For no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. You see how that works with the day of Pentecost. Tongues is not known languages because Paul writes, for no one understands him. It is a supernatural utterance. Now, in the account of Pentecost, what you have is the Lord doing something that was somewhat extraordinary for the period, for the time, for the event, and that the hearers, heard their own native languages from the tongues, but that is not the status quo. The status quo is here in 1 Corinthians 14.2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And, you know, that puts to bed any kind of preaching, any kind of doctrine that says that tongues is not of God, but somehow of the devil. No, it's not. Scripture says it's a man speaking unto God, and he's uttering mysteries in the Spirit. Amen. You go to 1 Corinthians 14, 14. Paul says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And that's why they're called unknown tongues. Because the person praying in tongues doesn't understand the language that his spirit is praying. 
the, the mysteries in the spirit that he's praying unto God. Now, again, let me emphasize this. When you go through Scripture and you read the red letters, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is no option. It is the power of being a witness in the world, reproving the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is how the Lord put it, and that's what we need to do. It is not a la carte. It is not something that we just sit around and say, well, I don't know, it may be for me or it may not be for me. Because on the day when we have to give an account for the things that we've done in the body, that's, that is for good and for bad. That's for following the scriptural directives or not. So hearing this message and hearing the scriptures put on notice and and now responsible if you decide to reject it then it's not a question of answering to me or another preacher it's a questioning question of answering to the resurrected lord because it was his command to receive the promise of the spirit before you go out and preach in his name hallelujah So I have in my notes, if you decide not to speak in tongues, not to seek the baptism, you can answer to the Lord for that on the day. Amen. Let me conclude with a benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.